Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And we just had a solid five minutes on the uh, Undertaker series on WWE Network and his interview yes. on uh, Bill Simmons. And we're not going to talk about any of that with you. So, <laughs> Not uh, this time around, but you know, may- maybe in the future as this continues. Yeah, but uh, this is quarantine episode nine, Matt, but we're starting to trickle back to sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A slow return is is on. Uh, you know, NASCAR's back. Uh, not that I'm a big auto racing fan, but you know, anything is better than nothing. Uh, there was some, you know, made for TV golf last weekend, and another round this weekend before tournament golf starts in in mid June, and then uh, you got the Bundesliga. Yep, yep. Some of the other European soccer leagues are, are at least, you know, putting plans in motion, it seems like. Uh, or, you know, Italy maybe by mid-June, England probably sometime in June. So, you know, we're, we're progressing. Um, I read today, you know, again, more reports that the NBA is tracking toward an Orlando, uh, you know, centered league and, you know, maybe starting games around mid-July last regular season games, I guess, you know, starting with practices around mid-June. So um, apparently the plan, I believe this, is, you know, five regular season games for each team, uh, which seems a bit of a waste. And one of the things I guess we can discuss, like, isn't that kind of a waste for the 14 teams that aren't going to make the playoffs? Well, don't you uh, why even want, bother? It, you almost want them to scrimmage it out. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I almost think that what if I, if I was – designing it myself and Archie's got my back on this yeah uh, if I was designing this myself what I would do is create you know college senior teams not guys who are going to be in the draft necessarily right. um, but guys who've been playing and guys who want to play G League guys especially and say look these guys are going to play you every day they're going to scrimmage you for for two weeks um, yeah. and, and this is a team of 30, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just mm-hmm. going to, they're a taxi squad. They'll play whoever, and they can play three games at yeah. once. And, and then, you know, the teams, the season's over. The teams that are in the playoffs are in the playoffs. Um, Pretty much. I mean, that's kind of ha- like, if you look at the standings as they're frozen, there's not a real great playoff race. And if you only have five games, mathematically, I'm not sure there is to get in the playoffs. Now, seeding. Sure, you know the West but, seating could be changed and stuff like that. Yeah, but but, but with seating, there's no home court aspect to it. If everyone's right, playing so in Orlando, matter. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it matters, I guess, to who you're going to play. But yet you wonder too, how much does that even matter when you've had this much time off? Like, are the Lakers and the Bucks and the Clippers going to still be the the class of the league? I mean, well, everyone's you know, it's, healthy it's now. Weird. Like, I everyone's guess that's healthy. Yeah, you know, and and you've got so much rust and. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, we're going to get some practice time in, but it's just, it's interesting because, you know, we assume like, well, the, the Lakers and the Bucks will meet in the final. Like, can you say that with any, I mean, in a normal NBA season, usually the cream rises to the top of the playoffs, you know, seven game series, um, you know, but if you're playing all neutral sites, if you're playing after three, four months off, which it would be close to four months off by the time if they start mid July. That, you know, that's who knows, man. I mean, like, it, it's going to be unpredictable, I would think. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, it's just – and then the flip side of it, when you say, you know, well, why bring the 14 teams that aren't going to the playoffs? If they don't play and you don't start next season until December, then those teams haven't played a game for eight months. 
which is really weird too, you know, and, and, and there's also the, comp, the, you know, consideration of TV money. Yeah. Every team's got a local TV deal. And if they could put five more games on local TV, that, that may matter to them. I mean, it, I'm sure it does matter to them. This creates also an interesting proposition. I don't know NBA free agency. I don't know who's coming due this year because it's not it's LeBron not a great and class. it's not Kawhi. Yeah, I mean, it was thought to be considered a pretty weak class. But there's, you know, there's still some guys out there, I'm sure, who will get paid. If you were a guy coming back whose team's not playoff bound, yeah. Don't you just treat this like a college bowl game and you say, thanks, but no thanks? <laughs> you could. You could, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll forego yeah. my last five game checks. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I mean, it, that's a good question, too. Yeah. I mean, or you I, go I, I you just, go, Jalen Ramsey. I, I hurt my hamstring. Uh, exactly. You can you could create a, you know, a muscle injury that no one would be able to disprove and just say, ah, just, uh, man, you know, last day before we were able to start. I got a twinge in my hamstring, and I don't feel like I should play. Uh, two weeks would make the difference. Up, oh, season's over in two weeks. Oh, that's weird. Tough deal, uh, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it. it um, you know, again, I get it. I get the idea behind you want everybody to come back, and I'm sure the first driver is the TV money. Every team. I mean, you know, if you're the Phoenix Suns, you're you're not going to make the playoffs if there's only five games left. You were unlikely to make it if you played out the full amount. Um, you know, I'm sure they get money from Fox Sports Arizona for every game they can put on or have to give back money if they don't put those games on or however it works. So, you know, does it does it make financial sense for Robert Sarver to want his team to play even though they have nothing to play for? Probably. And it's probably the same for Michael Jordan with the Hornets and uh, James Dolan with the Knicks and all the teams that aren't going anywhere. You know, you'd rather have some product than no product. Yeah. I think that's true, It, which leads to the point, if you're a player, why? Well, you know, yeah. If you, if you don't need it. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're right if you don't need it, but I think, I, I think it all comes back to, hey, I mean, they've started seeing less money now. The, the checks have been, you know, reduced, I think, as of the mid-May check. And so, you know, I mean, it's like, hey, let's, I mean, obviously this is the big talk with baseball. Sure, we're going to discuss, but you know, it, it all comes. You know, the answer to all your questions is money. Uh, you know, and and you know, why do you want to come back? Make money. Why do the owners want to come back? Make money. Why do the players want to come back? Make money. I mean, you know, like I'm sure they want to play, and that's great. I'm, you know, I'm sure they all have a love for basketball too. I'm not doubting that. But bottom line is, they want that check in the bank. Yeah, and I look. I I think that. No one's really going to do what I'm suggesting. But if this had been last year and you had this elite free agent class. Yeah. You know, you just have, you know, you just have to wonder, I guess. Well, I mean, if you, if you, you know, you put Anthony Davis in that mix. I mean, he wasn't a free agent, but everyone knew he was probably going to be on the move. If this had been last year and the, and the, you know, the Pelicans were playing out the string and they were, would he have wanted to play? Probably not. He didn't play. I mean, yeah. it, and there was no suspension of the season. He, he, he set out most of the second half of the year. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you will see some guys who will make individual decisions. And, you know, that's, that's the way it's going to be with probably every sport for a little bit. You know, I mean, there's there's golfers I know that have said, hey, I'm playing the first three events back. Roy McElroy and Brooks Kepka, they're all in. And then there's, you know, Lee Westwood says, hey, I'm not coming back till at least July because I'm not comfortable with the – 
you know, what I have to do to quarantine when I come over. Great. You know, I mean, like, everybody's got to make their own decisions. And the beauty of golf is they do that anyway. Team sports, that's a different concept. We're not used to that, but we might have to get used to it for a short time. Well, I think that leads right to baseball's issue. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got a lot of players who, they're used to being away from their families, but half the time. And half right. the time, their family's right there. And now you're saying, right. well, we're only going to play half a season, but your family can't be around. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, now I will say, and I've, gosh, I mean, I'm sure no no uh, ordinary person has. I haven't, you know, read every single page or every single word of their 67-page plan. But some of it seems like a little bit, a little bit too much. Like, I mean, there's things that are like, wow, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to shower at the stadium. Ah, you know, and I've already read that teams are pushing back on some of that stuff. Like, it just seems a bit much right now. I was listening to Joe Posnanski's podcast where he had yeah. on Brandon McCarthy, and they were talking about how a lot of these things feel like they're for show. Yes. And I think that's yes. true. And I'm talking I think about, so, too. In the context of soccer, they talked about it too. It's like, well, you're not supposed to huddle to celebrate a goal but for the corner kick everyone's banging against each other and exactly you know. exactly yeah you got guys you know slide tackling and they're banging around and then yeah when there's a goal you're not supposed to high five like yeah i agree with you i i think that i i think a lot of it is for show you know like you're not supposed to have sunflower seeds what i mean like you know where where is this i don't know i right. i just i feel like a lot of it is you know, well, let's find every way we can take a precaution, even if that precaution is nonsensical. Well, and I'm of a mindset where you you do this if you're MLB because you know the Players Association is going to say no. So you yeah. so you create a 67 page outline of how you're going to do yeah. this, and then it gets called back and negotiated and back and forth, and teams sure. don't like this and players don't like that. And everyone yeah. wants to be at their home site as opposed to playing, you know. A whole season somewhere neutral. Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's interesting because, look, I don't want the Brewers to have to play 82 games split between U.S. Cellular and Wrigley. But right. on the East, you could play it in either Orlando or New York's got two teams in the same area or yeah. the Baltimore, D.C. area. True. In L.A., you've got two major league stadiums and a number of college stadiums. And in Chicago, you've got two major league stadiums plus Miller Park's right, you know, 90 minutes away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, now the latest I've heard, and I think this is still the case, is, you know, they're planning on playing everybody at their home stadium, but really being very geographical in terms of schedule. Oh, yeah. Well, I heard they're only doing... The would not play the Mets. They would, you know, they'd play the Dodgers, the Padres, you know. Well, and I I saw that they were talking about doing just your division and the opposite league, same division, which for the NL Central and the AL Central is great because both of those divisions are weak. Uh, they relatively. are. They are. Uh, yeah, it's terrible news for the Dodgers, who now have to play the Astros a whole bunch. Yeah, true, true. Well, and that's the you know the idea. I think was like you know keep everybody within one time zone, but you wouldn't do that a hundred percent because you know there's a perfect example. The Astros and the Rangers are in Central Time. The Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, you know the Diamondbacks, obviously in the summer, 
are uh, are on Pacific time. So yeah, I don't I don't know how you do that. I mean, that's I think that's a big the big idea behind that is for TV. You know, start every game at seven o'clock local. If you're not going to have fans in the stands, you want to try to maximize your TV audience, which makes sense. You know, yeah. there shouldn't be any uh, ten o'clock start times or anything like that. You know, um, uh, you know the the other idea. I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's it's obviously there's a whole lot to it, and I think for all sports, we're going to have to grow comfortable with the notion that there is no perfect scenario right now. There's not a there's not a perfectly fair. Everybody's on board. Everybody loves this scenario. Doesn't exist, you know. Like I mean, there's going to be this whole Mike Tomlin says, you know, we shouldn't reopen facilities until all teams can. Unrealistic. Great idea, but unrealistic. It, you know, if that's the case, you're probably saying there's not going to be a season, and I don't think that's going to happen. You know, so like we're going to have to deal with the fact that things may not be fair for a little bit. They just might not be, you know, teams may have advantages because of where they're located. And, and we're going to have to just live with that for, you know, a little bit of time before things get back to where, you know, it is fair for everybody. Well, the thing I heard that, that I think is true. And I want to say that this was from Kevin Clark at the ringer. It, the NFL is going to do everything they can to have the teams play in their home stadiums and train yeah. at their home facilities but not at the expense of having a season and they will find you right. a new place to go. Right. You know, right. I, I right. saw that, uh, the athletic director at the university of Florida said, look, our priority is to have Gator football, yeah. but we'll, right. we'll have somebody Come play on, on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, you know, the NFL I'm sure is in some ways breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief that both, you know, New York and California in the last few days have said, you know, yeah, we'll welcome pro sports back as long as it's with no fans. Because that's a huge, I mean, you know, you take New York and California from the NFL, that's 20% of the league, right? I mean, maybe more than that. Giants, Jets, Bills, although they don't actually play in New York, but New Jersey's doing the same thing. And then, you know, Niners, Rams, not Raiders anymore. But Chargers. Chargers. I mean, that's six teams in the in the New York area and in the uh, California, you know, state of California. So, you know, getting getting that back or feeling like it could, you know, safely be back by September or August, they've got to be happy about that. You know, even if you're not going to have the crown jewel LA stadium debut that you wanted, at least you could potentially play games there. Yeah. Well, look, the, the biggest loss of all of this is Taylor Swift's West coast con- concert. I know. At the new LA stadium. You're right. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't, don't we all know that? Yeah. It's, but, it's uh, devastating. And I, and I know that you, <laughs> I know that you've had to talk to your ticket brokers, and Lord knows I have yes, about what course. we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of ticket brokers, boy, this is this is not a good time to be in the, like the StubHub, uh, Ticket City, those type of businesses, is it? I'm getting all these emails from StubHub about you know live streams of events. I'm like, uh, I don't really think that's what StubHub does, is it? No. It's supposed to be going to events. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I think Eventbrite does the concerts and they're doing a lot yeah. of stuff with artists now who are doing like their shows from their house and they're charging, yeah. you know, five yeah. bucks or whatever yeah. to log in. And it's like, well, yeah, that's an idea, but that doesn't really work for it's sports. Not the same. Like, it's, not, it's not, yeah, it does not, you know, I mean, we've, we've got great TV viewing for sports already. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do. And, and this is an interesting, cause you know, you and I have discussed this. It's been discussed for years now with sports that the, 
you know, the the attractiveness of going to games in person has been reduced by how good TV's gotten um, and how expensive it's been to go to games. And I, and I do wonder if, you know, when the corner turns on this, will we see a renewed interest in going to games? I know I will, probably. I mean, I, you know, myself, like if you told me, hey, you know, you could go to a Sea of Suns and, and Nuggets game, I'd be there in a minute right now. See, but I, a year ago, I'd probably be like, yeah, whatever, I was watching on TV. But the flip side is, there, will there be people like me where it softens the market because it's like, do I really want to go to a stadium with all these people? Even if I can? You know, I saw Ohio State was saying, we'll play with 20,000 to 50,000. Yeah. 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 I guess, like, if I'm rich and I could get a suite, I'd do it. But, right, right. You know. I mean, so for college football, for me, that's an interesting one because – if you told me, I mean, you know, Ohio State is one of the places you and I have talked about going. Um, I don't want to go to Ohio State with 20,000 people. That, you know, like that's not the atmosphere I want. I'll wait and I'll go when, when 100,000 people can be there. You know, and the same for like LSU. I don't I don't want to go to a game at Tiger Stadium if the place is, is 80% empty. I mean, that that loses its, its thrill. You want to go to Arizona Stadium and see a half-empty stadium? You really can anytime. Well, I mean, (laughs) so I was just about to say, would I right now go to an ASU basketball game if there was one? 100%. Yes, because, you know, the crowd atmosphere doesn't doesn't make or break an ASU basketball game to me. I mean, obviously it's great when it's sold out and it's backed and blah, blah, blah. But I've seen plenty of ASU basketball games where the place was half-empty, and I've loved it. So if you said, well, okay, you go to Wells Fargo or whatever it's called now, Desert Financial, and there's only going to be 5,000 people in there. Okay, that's called, you know, our freshman and sophomore year, basically. Yeah, that's the pre-Harden era. We did that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, now I'm being, I'm being facetious a bit, obviously, in saying that, but really, like, I, I don't, you know, I mean, LSU, you know I've wanted to get to LSU this year. Mm-hmm. And But if, if they said, you know, okay, we're going to allow fans, but we're only going to allow 20,000, I'd probably just wait until 21 or 22 or whenever it is that that we can have full stadiums again because I don't want to go see a game at Tiger Stadium when the place is mostly empty. That's not the experience that I want. You know, so that there's I guess the, the difference for me is like, you know, I would I would go to a game but I don't want to go, you know, to a to an event that is supposed to be about, you know, 100,000 people there and there's only 10. You know, that doesn't do it for me. Yeah, fair enough. So we'll see. I mean, what I'm talking about is not necessarily this year. If you know, I'm not saying like you know, if Ohio State has twenty thousand people and there'd be a renewed interest. What I'm talking about is two years from now, when it's like you know, will we see a renewed interest in attendance? Because that's been a big thing. You know, you look around and baseball's attendance, you know, not great in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Basketball attendance, not great in a lot of places. Or will we? Or will we not? Will it go the other way? where people will think like, well, you know what? I've gone two years without seeing a game in person. I, I keep doing it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what the end result will be. For me, I feel like, you know, boy, when, when you know, when the figurative gates open up and, you know, it's like, okay, you know, go to games. Okay, I'm going to games. But I may be in the minority. I'm not sure. Yeah. In the meantime, with the TV broadcast, one thing that's going to be interesting is you're not going to have the crowd noise to play off of. Yeah. And I think, you know, I heard on that same Kevin Clark podcast, I'm pretty sure they were talking a lot about what that's going to look like and what Mm -hmm. places Mm -hmm. are going to do. 
and they were talking about like, well, will it seem ridiculous to to pipe in fake crowd noise through the TV broadcast? And I don't know if you've been watching AEW wrestling, but they, I guess, have been doing that. Oh my yeah, god, these dogs! They've been doing that uh, as well, trying to just get a little bit of. You know, just in the background, soft, not I'll super loud, but this is awesome, or what have you. Interesting, interesting. I have not seen that, no, but, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting one because we think of sports as, you know, real-life events, and they are, um, and yet, I think it was Kornheiser on PTI mentioned, you know, sports are a TV show in a lot of ways, and you watch TV shows over the years, and they pipe in noise, they pipe in laugh tracks, and they pipe in music that tell you when a dramatic moment is happening or something like that. And so can you do that for sports for the time being? Yeah, probably you could. Um, I don't know. I mean, it could sound really cheesy or it could, uh, you know, be a, a decent substitute for the real thing. Yeah. Luckily we're almost certain to find out how it goes because there will be sports without fans and there will be there will. at least one network that tries this. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, Joe Buck basically said, you know, although SI reported it as a done deal, which was not true. But I know Joe Buck said, you know, hey, we're, you know, it's it's pretty well down the tracks that if we have, you know, NFL games without fans, we're going to, you know, we're going to even mention, like, you know, digitally alter, you know, crowd, crowd images of, you know, people when there's not really people there. And, you know, I don't well, know. it's better It'll than be what some leagues have done. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, we 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 don't know. It does seem like a, a nearly a hundred percent certainty. I mean, we've already seen it with German soccer. We're going to see it with golf in a few weeks. That we're you know the first step back is to do it without fans. There, um, you know, I I I guess my my fear a little bit is that you know we get to the point. Now, the only thing that keeps me from thinking this fear is the tremendous amount of money that's gone into stadiums and arenas. But my fear is, you know, will will certain teams, certain leagues think, yeah, we don't need fans here at all. Can we just do this forever without fans? I hope that's not the case, but I do fear that a little bit. I don't think that'll happen because I think... I don't think so either, you know, but it, it, it you know, it's one of those things I worry about. Yeah, and I, I get that. I just feel like the, the relationship people have with their teams sort of precludes your ability to do that because if you couldn't go if it wasn't special and you got this moment you know even watching on tv right uh, you know i like going to a couple packer games a year i oh sure i think the experience at lambo is great i also think the experience on my couch is great Uh, yes you know i I agree i mean you know i i fight that battle a lot you know, I, I mean, there's there's games here, Cardinals play or ASU plays. And, I mean, we've had this discussion. That's like, you know, I want to go see ASU, but boy, if I I could stay home and I could watch the ASU game, and then on one other TV I could watch, you know, Georgia and Notre Dame or something. It, it's tempting, you know, it is. Um, and I've done it. I've made both choices. You know, I've sometimes decided I'm going to that game, and I don't care what else I'm missing. I'm going to see it. And sometimes I've decided, yeah, I'm just going to stay home. But I agree. I mean, there is, I, I absolutely agree. There is something special about going to a place. You know, I've seen a hundred games on TV from Tiger Stadium, but I've not been there and I want to, you know, um, I've seen, you know, 15, 20 plus years of the Masters, but I've not been there. I want to, you know, so, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think that'll happen. And again, 
you know, teams have plunged billions of dollars into stadiums and arenas. So I think that that helps that uh, they're less likely to say, well, this works well. Let's just do it like this all the time. Um, but again, you know, with anything, it's like when you do something new, you think, well, is that just going to take hold? Like, for example, totally different. But, you know, the thought that there's going to be a DH, at, you know, all the time this year. I think that'll just become permanent. I, yeah. I feel like this, I mean, I feel like we might have seen the end of pitchers batting, which I'm okay with, honestly. Yeah. You know, but but there are other things that I think you'd be like, yeah, boy, can we get that back? And we might not get it back. Yeah, I certainly think this is an opportunity for all of the nefarious, even down to controversial or questionable ideas leagues and teams mm-hmm. have. Now's the time mm-hmm. to, that they're going to implement it. You know, I agree. this whole, this you know, is... we talked about the minor league baseball thing. Well, yes. That one way to save a bunch of money, let's just cancel the whole season. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we'll make uh, the draft shorter. And we're, yeah. you know, like you said, you just kind of start forcing the hand. You just make it happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I bet, I mean, not in general, but I bet you if you could get MLB execs on, you know, to be a hundred percent truthful, they'd say, boy, this worked out beautifully for our plan about reducing the minor leagues. The whole season will go away. We got the draft reduced, and then we can bring it back in 2021, but we can say, well, we can't bring it back full speed, so we'll just bring it back in the cities that we wanted in, yeah. which is exactly what they wanted to do anyway. Yeah, we're just going to bring back AA, AAA, and some yeah. A-ball. Yep. And, and we'll oh, do, and rookie ball at your team facilities. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> they'll do, you know, they'll continue the rookie leagues, at the, you know, spring training facilities, because that's, that's easy. You know, there's no overhead that goes into that. And, yeah, I think you might see, you know, just expanded rookie league action and then double-A, triple-A, something like that. I mean, yeah. I think you could easily see that happening. Yeah. I mean, I think the non-team rookie ball, like the former Helena Brewers, like yeah. that sort of thing I think might be gone. Probably on thin ice, if not completely gone. Yeah, yeah, I mean... And it's unfortunate, you know, I, I, we talked about this obviously before all this happened with the season being wiped out, but you know, that's, that's where I believe, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of corny to say, but I think it's true. You know, the love of baseball is born in those places, small towns that aren't going to get a major league team. They're not going to get, you know, NBA, NHL, NFL, you know, but it's those small towns where you can go see professional baseball. And if you're going to wipe that away, you're you're damaging a fan base that is already being reduced over the years. A sport that's already taken a hit. I I don't get it, but uh, that's you know there must be a reason they think it's a good idea. Yeah, well, I mean, I think about you know obviously the Iowa Cubs aren't going anywhere, but that three of the teams they were proposing to cut come yeah. from Iowa. Well, right. I, right. Iowa doesn't have a major league team, and and most of Iowa's not close to a major league team. Not at all. No, no. I mean, it's a, it's a haul to get to Kansas City or Minnesota or Chicago or Milwaukee. Or, you know, I mean, you could do it, but yeah. it's, but do you want to spend something... seven hours driving for a right. ball game? Like, and, and then what? Go that night and be home the next, you know, two hours later or something. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a boon for college athletics. It's why these places yeah. have a love of baseball and college sports because they right. have those things. Small towns, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I, I, uh, I hate to see you know what's going to happen with minor league baseball, um, and I think it was on that track anyway. And now it's just become even easier. You know, because, uh, again, the cynical side of me says, you know, they'll use this and say, 
well, we got to be real careful about, you know, all this and exposure. And so we, we can't have professional baseball players in all these cities. We got to just keep them in the cities we want, which just so happened to match up with the cities we wanted anyway. Yeah. But it does look like things are starting to come back and everyone's, everyone's sort of everything that people were projecting for the football season seems to be holding true at the professional level anyway. Yeah. And and I saw the NCAA did say that they're going to allow athletes back on campus in summer. Yeah. Start June 1st. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, obviously with college football, there's even more probably inequities that will happen. And I, I just think, I just think we're going to have to make peace with that. Like it's just, it's just going to be one of those years that, you know, we may have to just realize that, you know, not everybody's playing with a full deck. Um, now, again, I could say that's always the case with college sports because, you know, Alabama football doesn't play with the same, you know, level that ASU football does. We've talked about that many times. This year, it may be even more imbalanced in some areas. We may just have to accept it and, and kind of just, you know, like, okay, it is what it is. Let's enjoy it for what it is. It may not be the truest test of who the best teams are but it's better than having nothing at all. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, to some degree, you know, my thought on the baseball season, which is I'm excited to have it if it happens. Yeah. But it's not going to be real. Like, I'll root for the Brewers to win whatever the World Series looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be different. But but this isn't going to be the year, you know, like... to me, the primary reason to play is to to let guys who have counting stats get more stats. Yeah, true, you know? true. You know, I mean, I, I think a big idea, and and I think this is okay. Quite honestly, is that you know, sports are a part of our culture, and you know, as we try to get back to some sense of normalcy, that's a sense of normalcy. I mean, it certainly is for me. I know it is for you, and it, and we're not alone by any means that you know the ability to turn on a baseball game on a Wednesday night or the ability to watch a golf tournament on a Sunday afternoon is part of what we do and you know I I think it's I think it's good I mean I I agree you know I know I'm not the biggest Roger Goodell fan but I have to say I've liked what Roger Goodell has said publicly so far about this that you know the the NFL draft is is part of what we do and we're going to do it we're going to do it differently but we're still going to do it I I've been all for that yeah, this does feel like, and I know they put out the preseason schedule with opponents, but right. this does feel like the opportunity where, okay, we're just going to be doing joint practices with a team from the other conference who's close to you. Could be, could be, you know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting now. Obviously, you know, we're, we're not that far away from the point where they might have to make decisions on the preseason. But, uh, you know, again, I like the fact that they have basically said, hey, we're not going to panic or make decisions as we have to go, um, you know, and for now we're going to operate as though we're playing in the fall because we don't know what the fall is going to be. And, you know, we didn't know what May was going to look like back in April. We don't know what June's going to look like right now. So let, let's just, let's just wait and see, you know, there, I feel like there's been too much rush to say like, you know, wipe this out, wipe this out, wipe this out. Like, let's just wait and see some things. I get it. Makes sense. You know, okay, Wimbledon got canceled. Well, okay, explain that the grass doesn't grow any other time of year if you could. All right, fine, I get it. But some things I'm like, man, couldn't you have delayed it to see? 
you know, they canceled the British Open, the golf tournament. Like, okay, maybe you couldn't play it in July, but could you have played it sometime? I think you could have. But they just wiped it away until next year, I guess. Yeah. Uh, before we go, a couple quick hitters. One very good story from Doug Haller on The Athletic about Todd Graham. Yeah, and, it was. And when you read it, I, I don't know what your take was, but when I read it, it felt like maybe we've been giving him short shrift because those first three years were very good. I agree. I, I mean, the, the Graham years, as we get further away from them, I guess it gives you the benefit of perspective. Um, but they weren't that bad. I mean, I, I, okay, let's say it this way. Was Todd Graham a bad hire? I don't think so at all. Oh, no. I think Todd Graham was a good hire. You know, he, he did some good things here. Uh, was Dennis Erickson a bad hire? I'd say yes. He had one good year. You With know, someone else's have, players. Well, yeah, and, and a bit of a fluke season, if we're being totally honest about that. You know, they, they had a weak schedule. They won some close games that, you know, could have gone either way. Uh, there's a whole lot of, you know, things. But the Dennis Erickson hire was a bad hire. I don't think the Todd Graham hire was bad. I think, you know, it went bad at the end, as it almost always does. I mean, that's, that's well, the thing. Well, because it wouldn't end to, otherwise. <laughs> Right, right. You know, I mean, like, could he have gotten to a Rose Bowl and then gotten, you know, the Texas job? And okay, maybe, you know, that's a possibility. Um, but more often than not, it ends badly. It ended badly for Herb Sendek. Was the Herb Sendek hire a good hire? I think so. You know, he did some good things here. He didn't keep it going, but he did improve the program. He did give us some really good years and some really good moments. And and I think Graham did the same that, you know, it just, um, it was interesting what he had to say. Obviously it's with the benefit of hindsight that, you know, as he, he, he made some, you know, he said he made some bad decisions in terms of staffing, yeah. um, said he should have, you know, promoted Chip Long instead of hiring Chip Lindsay, which was an interesting thought, one that I hadn't considered. Um, and also that he got more involved in other things, you know, being the glad hander and, and you know, kind of got away from some of his day-to-day involvement. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding that things did go badly when those things started happening. Yeah. Well, and I do think I, I also flagged the Chip Long part of that, yeah. which is he really did sort of hamstring his team because he kept having turnover then. Yes, you know. yes, yes. I don't think he expected, it sounds like, Chip Lindsay to be gone after one year. You know, and, and, and I think looking back now, he sees, boy, I, I brought this guy in to, you know, to just use it as a stop on the way to another stop. And that's where things kind of got away. And he might have a legitimate point there, uh, you know, I mean, because it did create what felt like a revolving door. Uh, and obviously Ray Anderson used that as one of his, you know, reasons for moving on from Todd Graham was the constant turnover among the coaching staff. Well, the other thing, though, which I think the Haller article did a good job of highlighting and that we've talked about is a lot of his guys went on to big jobs. They did. You know? They did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, look, I, I think, you know, is Todd Graham, Frank Cush, you know, level legend? No, not even close. But... Of the coaches, and I don't think we can count Herm in this yet. It's too early and his tenure's still going. But if you look at the coaches that, that we've been a part of, Dirk, Erickson, and Graham, Graham was the best coach. I mean, I think. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, and he like did, overall. 
you know, total, total picture. Not, you know, not, I mean, Dirk was the better offensive coach, certainly, you know, Dirk's offenses were really good and, you know, um, but just big picture, how the program was, you know, I think Graham certainly was the best of the three. Well, Graham got the closest to getting it done. He did. And, and that's, that's, I think the defining feature of this is, look, his tenure ended poorly with a bowl game. Like, right. You know, right. right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like to me, I mean, now we didn't, we weren't, we weren't at ASU for the entire Cutter years. We got three years of Cutter. The first three years, we were still in high school, so that's a little bit tough one to compare. But you compare Graham and Erickson, the two coaches that you know, you and I have been ASU fans and seen the beginning, the middle, the end. It's not even close. Oh, I mean, it's not even close. Like the, the Graham teams felt like they were better prepared. They, they, you know, they won some big games. We really didn't win many big games with Erickson. We, we did not. Um, well, you know, he, the other thing about Graham, to his credit, much better at managing the the personnel on the team and making, yes. you know, it, some of the decisions he made seemed ridiculous. We're gonna, we're gonna, sure. you know, spend two weeks of practice with a defensive end playing fullback <laughs> for some yeah, reason. Yeah, true, true, but, true, true. Yeah, yeah. He had the willingness to look at his two elite recruits and say, Taylor Kelly's better than both of these guys. I'm going to go with Taylor Kelly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Which, you know, comparing that to Erickson, who was doing everything in his power to not play the only quarterback on the roster who went to the NFL. Right, right. No, that's a very good point, yeah. And and interesting that you say that because, you know, it was always framed as sort of a negative that, you know, Graham didn't – didn't recruit, you know, hadn't had a quarterback he recruited until Manny Wilkins or whatever. But, hey, he got the most out of Taylor Kelly, who wasn't a big recruit. Now, now, you know, he alone didn't. I mean, give Taylor Kelly credit, give Mike Norvell and the, you know. But, again, who hired Mike Norvell? Who hired those offensive coaches? Todd Graham. And, I mean, gosh, you pointed it out a few minutes ago that a lot of those guys went on to bigger and better things. How many Dennis Erickson assistants went on to bigger and better things? I can't think of any. No. Uh, you know, I mean, I, like, I really, I cannot think of any because he hired a staff of his cronies, his old drinking buddies, basically, and it was a bad staff. And it's why, you know, the, to me, the biggest, the biggest flaw of Dennis Erickson's tenure was the staff he had because it all flowed from there. Recruiting was, was not as good because of the staff, right? You know, and, and game management was not as good because of the staff. And, um, you know, it just wasn't good. And whereas, yeah, Graham had guys leave, but, they went on to better things. They went on to head coaching jobs or offensive coordinator positions or whatever. So I, I agree. I mean, it was an interesting article. Did he make mistakes here? Yeah. Was it, was it appropriate to get rid of him? Maybe. I, I think so. I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I don't know. Well, um, you and I talked about this and I think it's the, the problem is the baseline that Ray Anderson set down has not been achieved. It has not yet, and, no. And the problem for me with all of that is, look, we're pointing in the right direction. I I am drunk on our Kool-Aid. I have had I so much of our Kool-Aid. <laughs> but, I am too, yes, yes. But when you just look at the numbers, Graham's last year, regular season, 7-5. and five. Mm-hmm. Herm Edwards' first two years, regular season, 7-5. Seven 7-5, and five. Seven and five, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that, you know... It, the Kool-Aid analogy is a good one because right now we're we're drinking the Kool-Aid and it tastes good, but it hasn't actually filled us up yet. 
Like it, you know, it's, it's, it's pulling us in. It looks good. It tastes good. And we think that when we're done drinking the Kool-Aid, that things are going to be like, boy, that was a great decision to drink all that Kool-Aid, but we don't know yet. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of promises. It's a lot of hope for the future and that's great. But yeah, the, the actual results haven't been there yet. Now I think they will. I agree with you. You know, I'm, I'm a believer that they will get here. And if they do, then we'll look back and we'll say, was the move to move on from Todd Graham right? We won't hesitate. Both of us will say yes. If Herm Edwards leads us to a conference title in the next couple of years, um, you know, a Rose Bowl, a playoff appearance, whatever, something big like that, we will say absolutely right decision. Right now, up in the air. Well, I think and, so. And to be, to be the counter to my own point, Todd Graham's recruiting was bad at the end it was slipping and it was slipping badly and yes. and yes. the fact is what herm has done has been almost exclusively on his own guys yes you he know has. Yeah. especially yeah. last year the first year right. obviously with manny is a little different but the last right. season the linebacking core were all his guys the mm-hmm. offensive line were all his guys the defense yeah. was pretty much all his guys other well, than Brandon you know, was was a i mean if I'm not mistaken, he was a Herm recruit, wasn't he? He, he didn't commit yeah, when was Graham Juca. was here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he wasn't here. I know he was the first class. Um, you know, so I mean, he's first round pick, and and yeah, I mean, Jake Daniels, we obviously think very highly of. Um, Robertson, you know. um, right? Darian right. Butler, both his guys. You know, yes. And, yes. and and another like piece of this, all three of those guys, California. True, what true. state did did we zero recruit in Todd yeah. Graham's last year? California it was California. No, you're right. I mean, Graham was always more focused on Texas. He was always a uh, you know. Thank you uh, for the uh, home know. and home with UTSA. Yes, yes. You know that was his area where he thought we could make some headway, and we we did to an extent. I mean, you know, he got some. Oh, he got Eno Benjamin. He did. He got Marion Grice. Mm-hmm. What Marion Grice, a Texas kid? Yeah, from JUCO by way of JUCO. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, you know, he did make some headway there, but, you know, recruiting Texas is tough for for anyone out, I mean, for even inside of Texas, because you're going, as ASU, you're going against Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, Houston, a good, you know, a good smaller program, SMU, an up-and-coming program, it seems, you know, I mean, LSU, if it's there. the Houston area. Right, <laughs> right, you know, and, yeah, and not only, not only the Texas and the, but, just nationally yeah. now yeah california gets recruited nationally too but you know it's not as heavy i mean you know it's it's just it's not you know well, usc hasn't been what it is ucla is eh, all the time you know yeah, stanford, stanford recruits yeah. a different type of player you yeah. know i mean going going against stanford is almost it's not you're not even really going against stanford most of the time they're recruiting yeah. a different type of player than most schools so there's more headway to be made in california i think for asu not to mention it's closer. Yeah. I mean, it's just simple geography. You're, you're more likely to get an L.A. kid to come to Phoenix than a Houston kid. Yeah. It, you know, the, the odds are just good that you are. Yeah, well, and I think that you also see it's borne out by if you make it a priority, you can actually carve out a big space in California. We yeah. made Texas a priority, and I wouldn't describe our, you know, space as significant uh, you know, we were doing Agreed. just as well recruiting Louisiana as we were Texas. We were like. true. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a 
it's a mixed legacy for Todd Graham, uh, you know, and, and I think that's okay. I mean, I think that's probably just being realistic what it, what it's going to be for most coaches. Um, you know, there was some really good. His first three years, as you mentioned, were really solid. His first year was, was better than average. And then year two and year three were really solid years. Well, we got and- to the Pac-12 title game. We were really close to getting to another. Those were good seasons. And then we couldn't take that next step. And that's why he's not here anymore. The other piece of this with the first year that I think often gets undersold with Graham Mm -hmm. is he inherited not a dumpster fire, but an entire landfill on fire. Not a great situation. Uh, You're right. You know, we had, we had off the field issues. We had on the field issues. We led the conference and maybe the country in penalty yardage. And and, you had a, you had a team that fell apart at the end of 2011. Yeah. They fell apart 2016 too. We saw that. But 2011, we were six and two going into November, and we were in we were in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 South, go to the first conference title game, and just completely fell apart. And it ended really badly with guys leaving. You know, Brock left, which was unexpected. Brock was supposed to be back for his senior year. He left. Turned out to be the right decision for him, but it was still a surprise. So you're right. I mean, like you you had not a real good situation to take over. You had to come in and clean up a lot of messes that had been made in five years under Erickson, but really, you know, especially in the last two months. And he did that and, and, and did it in a way that I think, uh, you know, there was the part in Haller's piece about how the players were happy to see him go because he was yeah. so tough on them. But right back when he kicked junior on Yaley off the team. Yeah. Nope. No one was freaking out. It was, no, oh, you just right. sent our best defensive rusher packing because no we need discipline. Yeah. yeah. All right. I agree. I mean, we need discipline. This team's undisciplined. It was. You know? It was. I mean, it's it, you see it in pro sports a lot. You know, you, you fire the coach who's kind of lackadaisical, lets guys do what they want, and you usually bring in the opposite approach. You bring in the taskmaster. And that's what we did. You know, Erickson was not a disciplinarian. He never was. In his glory days, he was not a disciplinarian at Miami or Oregon State. And so he certainly wasn't a disciplinarian when he had half-checked out at ASU for his tenure there. Um, And so, yeah, you needed somebody to come in with a stern hand. You know, the conversation we were having earlier, and you said, you know, baseball sending this, you know, really restrictive 67 page, and, you know, they realize they're not going to get it all. It made me think of Todd Graham, because you and I discussed that with Todd Graham while he was here, that he came in iron fist. And then slowly but surely you pull back, but you don't even pull back. You don't you don't talk about it. You just pull back a little yeah. bit here and there to the point where maybe three years later they're like, oh, gosh, we used to have to do that. When did that change? I don't know. It just did. You know, and, and that was kind of Graham's approach, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, it reminds me of when I was covering high school football. There were teams where you your helmet stayed on. You did not take yes. your helmet off. You kept your helmet yes. on the whole game, standing uh-huh. on the sidelines, starting quarterback all the way to the to the last guy on the varsity yeah. roster because he got to dress because yeah. we're at home. Everyone has to keep their helmet on. And Graham was kind of like that. If you scored a touchdown, you handed the ball to the ref. If you got a yes. first down, you handed the ball to the ref. If yeah. you got sacked yeah. for a loss, you handed the ball to the ref. You, whatever <laughs> happened, the ball went into the ref's hands. And you know what? In the Wisconsin game, we won because we won they because didn't of- do that. <laughs> 
you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, I mean, yeah, I, you know, he did what was needed here. He was the right guy for the job at that time. And then, you know, I mean, it was interesting that, you know, to hear Chase Lucas and whoever the other, I can't remember who the other guy was that was quoted in there, um, you know, but basically said like, oh, it's a breath of fresh air when Todd, when, you know, when Herm came in. Because maybe that's what we needed now was, you know, somebody who was a little bit more, hand, you know, not as much of a taskmaster when it comes to discipline. A little bit more of a, hey, you, you know, you guys do your thing. I mean, Herm has basically said that, you know, we don't have, we don't have a lot of rules. We have an expectation. We have standards that you meet or you don't meet, but we don't have, you know, they don't have a lot of rules. And, you know, it's, it's worked fairly well and it's, uh, will it continue to work well? We'll see, you know, things may go bad and we may end up hiring a disciplinarian next when Herm goes, because it might be like, boy, we need to clean this thing up. Things got out of hand. Don't know, you know, but, but, uh, you know, I do think Graham was the right hire at the right time. And, and I, you know, I, gosh, I'll, I'll be rooting for him with Hawaii. I really will. Like I, I have yeah. no ill will toward Todd Graham. I really don't. I know there's people who work at ASU who do that, you know, that you talk to some people or you hear some, some whispers. And there was kind of mentioned in that story that he wasn't the easiest person to work with. Um, and that's their prerogative. I didn't work there under him. So I can't speak to that. You know, I, I did work there for Erickson, you know, when Erickson was there. Um, but I didn't personally know Todd Graham at all. So as a coach, he was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. You know, is he is he going to be in the school's Hall of Fame? I don't think so. And I don't think he should be. But was he a solid coach? Yeah, I think so. You know, he, he did a nice job for us and, and got us on the track to hopefully that Herm Edwards will take it and, and you know, even improve that from where he left it. I hope so. Did we talk on on recording before about Josh Christopher taking Harden's number? I don't, I don't know that we did. I don't think we did. And and when we you mentioned a little about it, yeah, when yeah. you mentioned the you know it should he be in the Hall of Fame? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I it made me think of that conversation because yeah. we didn't ever go there. I, no, I don't think we did. I think that it's fine. As I told you via text when it got mm-hmm. announced, I, I I think it's fine. Um, as you pointed out, they they had other guys wear thirteen after Harden left. They did, they did, and so that that's to me like kind of the the stopper of the discussion. It, it would be different if Harden wore it and nobody had worn it since. Then I might be like, eh, giving it to a kid who's never played before. Eh, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean Jordan Bashinsky wore it, and he was a good player, but he wasn't James Harden. Well, you know, and, and again, there was no story the, about him asking for permission. There was not. There was not. And and you know, if you if you use the uh, the Hall of Fame test that I just said for Todd Graham, is Jordan Bashinsky an ASU Hall of Famer? I don't think so. No. Is he? I mean, he's I don't a good think player, so, but he's got a memorable you know, moment. And if he wants he to does. host the basketball Absolutely. pregame show uh, sure, off of that sure. block, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Right, right. You know, I mean, you know, now it's James Harden. He will be, you know, when, when he can, you know, come back for the Hall of Fame. I'm sure he'll get in the first time around. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. I mean, you know, I also, I know one of the things we talked about was, you know, maybe you can maybe you can make it something. Maybe you can make it like, you know, number seven at LSU or number 88 for the Cowboys. You know, make it a part of your thing that, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's something that, the, you know, you've got to, quote unquote earn now the difference is you know josh christopher hasn't played here yet so he hasn't really you earned earn it. it by coming if you show but, up i mean <laughs> look with college basketball that's the reality like you at lsu you can make somebody earn number seven because they got to stay three years or more 
So next year it's Jamar Chase, and then you know it'll probably be Derek Stingley Jr. the year after because you know it's like something. That, but in basketball, if you make somebody earn it, you know you're going to get the four-year guy who isn't really that good. So uh, you know, like, hey, maybe you can make it a thing that hey, if you're if you're good enough, we'll give you this number, and and it's something you gotta you know live up to. Basically, I I don't know, we're not there yet, but maybe that's maybe that's something that can be an ASU thing. Who knows? Well, and if you want to, I, I recall Michigan when they unretired numbers and they petitioned the NCAA for the patches for Michigan football. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm fine if you want to do something like that. True. You True. Know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I don't mind it. I mean, I think it's one of those things that the old man in me, which as as time goes on, I become more and more of an old man, literally and figuratively. You know, when I first read it, I'm like, oh don't be giving this number to some kid who's never taken a college shot. And then I think, God, get over it. You know, like it's, it's kind of cool. If James Harden's on board with it and apparently he is, then great. And you know what, if it is something that we could use as a recruiting tool, like, Hey, you're our guy, you come here and you wear James Harden's number. Let's do it. Why not? Like, you know, get, get, get out of the stodgy past that I'm sort of stuck in sometimes. Well, Harden signed with Adidas, right? That's who he is, he is. Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. why we get all the Adidas swag. Exactly. Him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I predict that this becomes a a touchstone for Josh Christopher signing with Adidas. That's my Certainly could be. conspiracy Certainly. theory. Certainly hat. could be, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully there's not more to it than that. We won't show mm-hmm. up on somebody's recording in two years or something like that. But uh, who knows? Um, you know, but yeah, it, it certainly could be, and you know, I mean, those those things. Uh, look, Josh Christopher's dad made it very clear that it's about business for him. Like college is a stopover, so yeah, is wearing number thirteen maybe a part of that to building a future relationship or maybe even a current relationship with Adidas? Wouldn't be shocking. Yeah. Um, last thing to touch on before we go, Matt, you watched the entire Last Dance Jordan documentary. I, I did watched none of it and was then inundated with social media and think pieces <laughs> yeah, about yeah. it. Um, so the, the take I heard that I liked the best is he's an insane competitor and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. If he was five foot eight, he wouldn't have been this good no matter how insane of a competitor he is. And that's why sure. you have guys like, that it was uh, Brandon McCarthy said it about Michael Young, the former Texas Ranger. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. he willed himself into being an all-star a couple times, but he, mm-hmm. he didn't will himself into Jordan because he had that he same drive and determination. He just didn't have the natural <laughs> gifts to be true, that good. True. And, and that's a good point. I, you know, and, and I, that's one of the things there's among many that I've left with that is that, you know, this notion that there's no greater competitor than Michael Jordan. I don't know about that. I'm sure a lot of guys wanted it just as bad as Michael Jordan. They just weren't as good. You know, he combined wanting it really bad with being really good. But so did Magic Johnson. So did Larry Bird. Uh, so did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, I mean, you don't you don't fall out of bed and win multiple NBA titles. You got to want it really bad to be an all-time great. So this notion of, like, Jordan brought it to a level nobody else even knew, I don't believe that. No, you wait, know, I think, wait, he just found a very specific way to motivate himself and it wasn't yes. to be the greatest it was to spite everyone despite people yes <laughs> i agree i agree now 
you know, I I really enjoyed the show, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be careful to use that terminology because it was a show. It was I don't believe I mean I sort of agree with Horace Grant. It wasn't a documentary. It was a show. It was a show produced by Jordan's people to make Jordan look godlike, uh, which they didn't have to do a whole lot to make it look that way because people already feel that way in large part. Um, it was great nostalgia for for a kid who grew up in the '90s and loved the NBA. Uh, it, was, it was so much fun to watch because of the nostalgia factor. But it it was not a documentary. You know, it was not a fair and balanced look at the career of Michael Jordan. It was a pro Jordan, and that's okay. You can enjoy it for what it is, but I do think it's important that, you know, we sort of note that. Well, the other thing that I thought you would get out of it, because I saw a lot of this going around, the only the only U of A basketball players that you like are <laughs> Sean Elliott and Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, and that's Steve right. And Steve yep. Kerr got a lot of social media love. He did. In the he wake did. of this. He did. And, I, you know, I will always like Steve Kerr, um, in spite of the fact that he went to the U of A and he's a big U of A guy, and in spite of the fact I hate the Warriors, which is obviously his place of employment. But it was fun. I mean, it's, I think it was the second to last episode really focused a lot on Steve Kerr because it talked that was where they got to the 97 finals and him making the shot. And, and you know, and, and you know, Steve Kerr, like, I'm not a basketball prodigy, never was, but I went to that camp five, six years in a row when I was a kid, and he was just always a really good guy. I mean, it just, you know, he was always there. Uh, he never big-timed anybody. He never, you know, and, and he was right in the middle of winning NBA championships during that time when I was going to that camp, and, and he was always just a good guy. So that was cool to see him get that, you know, that moment. Um, you know, did he sort of come off as, you know, the, the one about when he got in the fight with Jordan? I heard, you know, some people critiqued him like, you know, boy, he sounds like, a, you know, an abused wife, you know. Well, he hit me, but it made our relationship better. Eh, it kind of did come off that way. Um, but overall, I thought he came out of it looking pretty good, and, and it was fun to see. Yeah. Uh, I will probably get around to watching it, but uh, I'm glad everyone it's got to watching. enjoy it. I It's worth watching. I mean, I would not discourage you from watching it. I, you know, by no means am I being negative about it or saying anything because like, Oh, it was terrible. It was good. It was well produced. You know, I just think, I just think it's important to go into it. You know, if I'm telling you, I guess, or telling anybody go into it, knowing what it is. It's a, it's a Jordan production may not have his name on it, but it definitely is. It doesn't happen without his cooperation. And, and so, you know, that's the way it is with media nowadays. I mean, there was a Tiger Woods show on last year, um, that he cooperated with and, you know, the, the, the talk of 2010 and 11 when he didn't win any tournaments was about how he was injured. He wasn't really injured and he had an injury in 2011, but what was going on in 2010 and 11 was he was getting divorced from his wife, but they didn't even mention that. So, you know, like it's just the way it is now with famous people, they can control the narrative and, you know, Jordan controlled this one. Yeah. Well, we'll be back to control our own narrative moving forward. <laughs> and... Try our best at least. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.